Good afternoon, everyone. <clears throat> so I'm I'm going to uh, go galloping through a lot of terrain in this talk, and uh, and I know that some of you uh, are quite familiar with um, Buddhist teaching and uh, teaching on the hindrances in meditation. And some of you are relatively new to the teachings. So, um, so uh, there's a lot, a lot more that can be said than what I'm going to say. And I hope I'll be both broad enough and clear enough to give you a, a kind of a framework um, within which you can begin to uh, work. And, um, and it can also be something that we talk about in the small groups as we go along. So um, we've, been, we've been working on uh, the samatha training, uh, calming the mind, collecting the mind, unifying the mind, and, and specifically uh, in immersing mindfulness in the body. And as we do this work, uh, this exploration, <coughs> Uh, we inevitably encounter those things that draw us away from resting peacefully, calmly uh, in the moment. And, um, and those, those energies are called hindrances. Um, it's, uh, I'm not sure what the Pali word is, and I, I, don't, I don't really know other translations of hindrances, but I... It is, they are hindrances in the sense that they do hinder our capacity to, to calm down and to, to collect the mind. And they're also opportunities. So it's like two sides of the coin. They're opportunities to understand these energies of the mind that are, that are present not only in our meditation but also in our daily lives. And, and to, to, uh, to begin to see deeply into the nature of them and to learn to not get hooked into those energies which draw us into uh, thinking and speaking and acting in ways that perpetuate suffering um, and, and to cultivate other ways of being that... Um, that cultivate more peace and happiness for ourselves and others. So the important thing to, to realize is that we, these, that these are workable, that, and, and, uh, and, and the five, I'll, I'll name them and then I'll, I'll go into them a little bit. These five hindrances are, are craving for sense pleasures, so, uh, sense desire, um, aversion, uh, so, and, and, and each one of them exists on a spectrum, so, so very, so from very kind of grasping uh, attitudes, thoughts, behaviors, to, to more subtle, you know, just 
kind of always wanting some kind of subtle sense pleasure. And, um, and from hating, aversion from hating, to irritation. Um, and, and, uh, and then the third is, it's usually referred to as sloth and torpor. So those are words that we don't use very, uh, very commonly. But, um, but uh, it, it refers to a kind of a, a lethargy, a sleepiness. It can be just falling asleep. It can be um, uh, just a kind of a foggy brain, um, you know, dullness of mind. Um, so, uh, so that's the third. Um, and then the fourth is restlessness and worry. And the fifth is doubt. So, so there are other things, you know, uh, mental states that we could say are also painful. And in some way, we could kind of slot them in under this big umbrella of the hindrances, you know, like jealousy, for example. You know, it's, uh, you know, I think of it somehow as a uh, somehow a combination of of desire and aversion, you know, um, and, uh, you know, pride, you know, could be some kind of desire. So, so all, all of these, it's not to exclude any of your favorite afflictive emotions. <laughs> so, but just to talk about these and how we work with them, and I think it, it, uh, it, it applies to um, subcategories. Um, so, uh, so the reason they're called hindrances is uh, because they keep us, they prevent us from this collecting the mind, unifying the mind, being present in the moment. And, um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about how we work with them in samatha practice. Um, and then I'm going to talk about how we work with them specifically in a vipassana approach. Um, and I haven't, you know, I haven't yet talked that much about vipassana practice. Some of you do have a fair bit of background, um, and, and some of you don't. So, um, so um, the first thing I want to say is that. Uh, None of this is to um, to deny that these are that experiencing sense pleasure is a human experience and not in itself uh, a hindrance. It's the craving that drives us that becomes problematic. It's when we are driven and and it becomes and, and somehow we get we create this story that that this is going to fulfill us, this is going to make us happy. And of course it never does, it never lasts, that little hit of pleasure doesn't last. And, and, and we begin to figure this out um, over time, uh, if we're paying attention. Some people don't figure it out and, um, and just go on chasing pleasures. Uh, and um, 
So, so sense desire, um, you know, we can experience it in, uh, you know, it, often, often when we experience sense desire and we go into fantasy, I remember talking to a student once, and he was a young guy, he was in, uh, he was in, it was when I was working as a chaplain university, and, and, um, and we were talking about this, and, and he said, I just don't get how sense desire is suffering. You know, so, um, uh, and, and, and it's true that when we, when we keep pursuing sense <coughs> desire, even in, in the form of fantasy, uh, it, it can feel pleasant. But when we just stop and kind of turn our attention to the body and we, we tune in to this kind of reaching outward, you know, to get something, we realize that it's suffering. <coughs> and, um, and so, you know, it's not to say that, um, that when we see something beautiful that we shouldn't allow it to touch us. Um, whether it's the life around us or, or beautiful things that we see or, or, um, or, or eating pleasant food. You know, it's to, to be present in the body as we engage with sense pleasures and to recognize, is there a, a grasping? Is there a leaning in? Is there a wanting more? Is there a somehow thinking that this will um, fill something in us that feels like empty or wanting? Now, the Buddha just just to back up a minute, I, I, I meant to kind of um, uh, begin the talk with this framework that the Buddha talked about, um, uh, what's called right effort, and uh, and and he said um, to the, the right effort is to cultivate. <coughs> What is beautiful and skillful, and if it's you know if there's already present within you, develop it further. And if it's not present within you, then plant the seeds and and cultivate it. So you know, for example, you know generosity or or patience. You know, so so these these beautiful qualities that we have, uh, and and what we're doing in this in this uh, retreat is cultivating the beautiful qualities of calmness and tranquility and and the the inner sense of well-being and joy and uh, and and loving kindness you know that 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 kind of uh, is fertile ground for and um, and and the second part was to uh, to 
notice what is present that's unskillful, that's creating suffering, and um, you know, such as hindrances and and where they're present, to to let them go, to learn to how to let them go, and 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 where they're not present to, you know, just make sure they don't grow. So you know, if we if we see these these seeds of uh, um, the hindrances that you maybe are, you know, if you're a gardener, sometimes you see seeds of uh, things that you don't want to grow in your garden, and you you rake them up or you get you get them up before they actually, um, you know, put down roots, and so that's uh, that's what uh, the Buddha is saying in the four right efforts. So um, cultivate what is beautiful, and let go of what is harmful or uh, unskillful. And so, so, um, so learning how to be with um, sense pleasure, learning how to, uh, to notice craving, to recognize, a, a, a big part of working with it is to, to recognize and open to how it does create suffering within us to to be kind of on that kind of uh, wheel um, hamster wheel of, of just always going after the, uh, the, the next little bit um, and and to you know to notice our relationship with the things that, um, I mean, wanting arises. So it's, it's, uh, it's. It, these are normal human feelings. Wanting arises, you know, um, and and you know, is there in this? You know, when we eat, do do we? Can we also eat even? Even if there is, a, a, we we're noticing that wanting is arising. Can we eat with a sense of appreciation, and um, and gratitude, and and really uh, love, you know, for the way that the earth feeds us, for the way that we are being fed in this context by the people who work here and are supporting our practice and. And and uh, and in our daily lives, by the um, you know really appreciating that most of us, if not all of us, do have at least some degree of abundance in our lives that we're not going hungry, and and really appreciating that, um, and. And sex, sexual desire—it's—it's—it's you know, it's, uh, it's something that can, in itself, we—we uh, we can experience it and be with it, and um, and you know, and ask ourselves: Is there love in this? Is there, is there, um, is there intimacy in this? Is—is is this nourishing to? To me and to the other, um, and so uh, 
So really learning to work with these energies in a skillful way, um, not to be, not to feel that we have to cut off our, our natural humanity, and at the same time, recognizing when we're caught, when we're driven, um, when we're just always hungry. There's this image in Buddhism of, of these um, suffering beings called hungry ghosts. And, um, and, and they, they have tiny, tiny little mouths and a long skinny neck, so really they can only consume like one tiny drop at a time, and then big, big, big bellies, so that they're never satisfied, they're always hungry, and, and yet they, they can never get enough to, so that they feel, even for a moment, feel satisfied. And, and you know, there are, there are people who live like hungry ghosts and um, and it's a and it's a great state of suffering and so so sometimes you know we might kind of get that hungry ghost mental state about in, in some situation or some some uh, some set of conditions you know I remember um, uh, when I when I got married, um, it just there was just this. I just got carried away on this kind of idea that I I had to have this. And I mean, it was a small wedding, and and just you know basically family and close friends, and 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 we had a potluck dinner. So it's not like you know we had, but you know, I, the dress and the jewelry and. And I and I, I kind of half knew what was going on. That I was just I had this fantasy that I was that this was all going to be like I had to have things a certain way, and and uh, and it really didn't matter, you know. Afterwards, I thought it didn't matter. But we can get carried away on this uh, on this, you know, um, just this. Uh, in this drivenness, that things ha- we have to have a certain thing, or it has to be a certain way. So, I'm sure you know we all have our stories. So the second one is um, so so um, so working with this. Uh, so working with this in um, in just. Uh, calming the mind um, you know part of it is just knowing from our experience that that this doesn't fulfill so there's a kind of a maturing calming the mind and and seeing that uh, feeling how the body is leaning into the energy of the body is leaning or out toward you know, grasping something, and and just even using the breath to let go, you know, feeling that and using the breath to let go, and um, 
And in, in a Vipassana approach, it's really uh, turning toward the experience of, of s- just allowing that um, energy to be known. So turning toward the experience of, of this uh, leaning, grasping out towards something. Um, one of my uh, one of my first awakening experiences to the suffering desire was a very simple uh, experience on retreat of sitting in the hall and the mind was quiet and um, and the sitting was almost over and I and 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 there was a lot of calmness and uh, and then a thought arose of you know I'd like to get a cup of tea after the sitting is over and then and then all this fantasy about what kind of tea and you know I saw myself walking down the hallway and to the tea station and and I was going to make this cup of tea and then there was a, a moment of waking up and and recognizing that the mind was caught up in this sense desire and just turning inward and seeing the suffering of it. So the, the subtle, you know, um, but, but, uh, but and, and especially with the contrast of how I had just been so collected and, um, and tranquil and, 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 and lovely. There was a, been such a sweetness. And then how just a little thought knocked me into another state, and uh, uh, and the contrast of it was so so helpful. You know, it was really that's, that's why they're they're both um, hindrances and opportunities to see into the nature of that. So the second um, the second of the hindrances is aversion, and um, and the Buddha talked about. Aversion uh, and you know particularly anger as being something that's very destructive um, and really in uh, in Buddhist teaching um, there's really not much room for anger and um, and and he described the experience of being angry at somebody as uh, like picking up a hot coal to throw at them and first you know before we we can injure the other we're injuring ourselves and I I I think that there's um, been some reflection on anger and how in, a, in some ways, anger, like sense desire, is a natural um, emotion that arises when, when we feel threatened. And, um, and there are times, I think, so I'm, so I'm not saying, as I begin to talk about aversion, that if somebody is abusing us, that we should, you know, suppress anger and say that this is um, 
you know, I should just, you know, not be angry and I should uh, just accept this. So anger can be um, an emotion that that comes from caring for ourselves. And, and we can perhaps skillfully distinguish between hating somebody and taking the action that we need to, to to not be mistreated. So, so uh, maybe that takes um, speaking strongly to somebody in a way that that's some something is just not appropriate, and and sometimes that energy of of strongly re- responding, but without intending to hurt the other, but to or even and even perhaps with some compassion for the other, but but creating boundaries, healthy boundaries, I think is um, is maybe part of how we can bring a little psychological, you know, um, contemporary psychological sophistication to and to the teachings and and also um, when we look at oppressed. People, oppressed groups, you know that that um, that they're not not to repress anger or to or to blame or to somehow say that anger against oppression is something that should never be uh, felt. But it's how do we work with it, and and then do we, you know, it's just like when we objectify an object out there that's going to somehow fill this sense of, of lack in us in, in, when we're grasping. Can we, um, can we recognize that, that uh, the, the hate, the anger, the aversion, most of the time is, is coming, I mean, when when we're not in a situation where we're being oppressed or or abused, which is most of the time, most of the time our irritation, our aversion, is coming from our own perceptions, and uh, and is creating a sense of self and other, um, in which we are, you know, saying, I'm not like you, you know. You, you're doing things that I don't, you know, I would never do. Um, and, and we are kind of just creating that otherness with uh, the person or, or, or to, a, to a set of conditions, you know, um, like going through this building, for example, is like going through several different climate zones, uh, <laughs> you know, from tropical to Arctic, then back to desert, <laughs> and and we are, you know, it's, and I mean, can, do, do you feel aversion, do you feel irritated, or, or is it just, you know, can we be with it, it's, it's an old house, and, and that's how it is, and, and so there are different 
different situations that come up in, on retreat that create irritation, you know, that, oh, you know, somebody <coughs> sitting next to you is breathing too loudly, or, or the person online ahead of you is just <coughs> so slowly picking through the, you know, the, the roasted veggies to pick out the, what they want, and, and, and here you are waiting, and, and your stomach is rumbling, you know, all of these things happen on retreat. And, um, and 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 create irritation, and and we're in silence, right? So it's it, we can the stories can just go round and round, and so so uh, different ways of being with aversion. Um, you know, one way is you know just to find. Uh, this quality of patience, you know, just remember patience. Um, so, cultivating what is beautiful and what is skillful. Uh, maybe noticing in your body where the impatience uh, or irritation is happening, and and then maybe finding some other place in your body that feels more easeful, more relaxed. Um, maybe just uh, noticing that you're expressing irritation with your face and allowing your face to go neutral or even to smile. Just changing our expression can sometimes change our um, our attitude. And so, and then the vipassana way of seeing into the nature of aversion is uh, to turn toward it and to to really host it in the body to really give it space for that energy to be known and um, and and just to be with it and recognize that that it's it's something that arises from causes and conditions Maybe something is being triggered in you because uh, you know it's it's an old pattern. Uh, it connects to some old ex- some experiences that you had that created you know a uh, reactive pattern, a defensive pattern. And and when we turn toward these energies, the energy of aversion, we see how, how it's suffering. And it's said that aversion is the most painful of all. You know, the critical mind, the, the mind that always gets irritated, the judging mind, the mind that always, you know, others people um, and feels separate. That's uh, a very, that's a suffering state. And so when we really see how much suffering there is in that, you know, as, as practitioners, it, it really uh, motivates us to let go. Because when we, 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 we don't really want to suffer, we don't really want to experience pain. It's just that we're not aware 
of how painful these states are until we look, we turn toward them and look deeply at them and experience how painful it is to, to have that mind that's always criticizing or, um, or to always impatient and so on. So, so cultivating the beautiful qualities, cultivating patience, cultivating kindness, cultivating generosity, just even with the breath, you know, like the breath, the in-breath energizes us and with the out-breath we can let go. We can let go of tension in the body, we can let go of perhaps uh, the contraction that's happening. So letting go with the breath. And then uh, also cultivating insight. And then the third is um, sloth and torpor. Uh, so, so we feel this in, um, in meditation as, uh, as dullness of mind, as uh, falling asleep, uh, as, as a kind of being in a fog, and we can feel it in our lives as well, as, uh, as being kind of confused, um, zoning out, spacing out, um, uh, be feeling like a kind of a disconnected, not, we're not sensitive, we're not alive to our experience. Um, and so, a way to work with this hindrance is to uh, bring more energy. So, to to awaken the mind, well, open the eyes if we're meditating, uh, lengthen the spine, bring more energy to the spine. Um, uh, a, uh, a a a technique that's that sometimes. Um, if you if you can visualize uh, to just imagine a bright light uh, shining in your head, and uh, so that kind of wakes you up. Um, uh, stand up, you know, as we said. Um, a uh, uh, a way, kind of one step before standing up could be to, to raise your arms. Because what, what we're wanting to do is raise the energy in the body and, and in the mind. And just the effort, the simple effort of raising our arms for a few minutes can, um, can just wake us up uh, and, uh, and energize us. And, and then even when you put your arms down, you might feel um, you know, a bit more energized. Uh, just wondering if it's getting cold, colder here. I thought maybe a window slid open or something because suddenly the temperature has dropped. But it's okay. I'm okay. If anybody's, yeah, it's it's all right. If if you're if you're really cold, then then um, you can close the window. I think it's just that the sun is setting. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, something about uh, sloth and torpor. Um, 
Yeah, there's a kind of a rigidity in the mind that happens. Um, oh yeah, what I wanted to say is that um, sometimes we're really tired. Sometimes, you know, like we're falling asleep in meditation because we're just really, really tired and we're sleep deprived. So how do you, t- how do you tell the difference when between you know, the mind that is just dull in meditation and when you're really tired? Um, and one way is that when the bell rings and it's time to go to lunch, all of a sudden we wake up. (laughs) (laughs) So then, um, so, so again, it's workable. It's workable, and uh, and and noticing sloth and torpor not only in our sitting but also in our daily lives, you know, uh, I, there's a kind of a desensitization that I think, is, you know, when the mind becomes dull and we're tuned out, we're not really alive to our experience, and so just bringing mindfulness, remembering to, to just tune in, uh, is a way to to work with that dullness of mind in our daily lives. The last two are um, are uh, restlessness and worry. So, so restlessness and worry are um, a kind of restlessness is a is a kind of a an energy that is just all over the place, and it, it feels like. Um, you know, you're sitting in meditation, you're sitting and you're saying, you know, when is that bell going to ring? When is that bell going to ring? And uh, it just feels like you're, you're being pulled in, in, in many directions. Um, and the mind is, is just all over the place. And, and, and it's put together with worry, you know, partly because uh, we're worrying about what what will happen in the future. We're worrying about uh, maybe the effects of things that we've done in the past. One of the things that is helpful for restlessness and worry is to develop our ethical framework for life. That because we worry less when we know that we've been really attentive to not causing harm to ourselves and to others. And and in that that ethical framework does give us a much more steadiness in our um, in our attitude toward ourselves and toward how our lives are unfolding. And so um, so restlessness it's uh, you know giving that space for restlessness to be known, coming back to the breath. Uh, coming back to the body, maybe not focusing in on a very precise uh, kind of um, uh, focus, but but really the, having that whole body um, meditation, where if there are energies that are feeling very uh, kind of scattered, that that even 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 so as a, it may be unpleasant. And yet we feel that we're offering a kind of a, a container for that, for those energies. 
within the body. And finally, the, the, the fifth one is doubt. Um, so it's not, it's not saying that we shouldn't question, ask questions about the teachings. Um, it's, uh, it's just, there's a kind of a doubt that is paralyzing, that keeps us from moving forward. We're doubting, you know, is this really true? Or does that teacher really know what they're talking about? Or, um, or can I do this? Maybe, I mean, I know the Buddha said, you know, we could all do this, but maybe I'm the one who can't. <laughs> maybe I'm the, you know. My mother always told me I was exceptional. <laughs> maybe it's in the bad way. Uh, so, um, yeah, so, you know, doubting ourselves, uh, doubting our practice. Um, it, it can be paralyzing. So, uh, so, you know, often the way to, to, to work with doubt is to, to first of all recognize it, acknowledge it, um, talk to a teacher or a spiritual friend, um, and and also to uh, to bring to mind how you know our our what we've learned from experience in the Dharma that that we can let go of suffering that we can let go of craving that we can let go of of uh, you know aversion and anger when we practice in the ways we've been instructed. So, so this is, the, these are ongoing uh, practices, and and um, and it's it, it's a lifetime of work. Uh, it's a lifetime of attention and learning and developing more skillful ways of being and letting go of the unskillful ways. Um, but the Buddha used a word to describe. You know, in the in the in the four applications of mindfulness, when he talked about mental states, and he said, you know, know when there's sense desire, and know when there's an absence of sense desire, know when there's anger, know when there's an absence of anger, and this this capacity that we have to let go of of these states which <coughs> can hook us and, kind of, and, and, and pull us into these stories and dramas that take so much uh, energy and cause so much grief, he called this liberated mind. That when, when we experience this letting go of an afflictive emotion, of, of one of the hindrances, he said, that's, that's the quality that he named liberated mind. It's not that we're liberated like we're Buddha or an Arhat, like, but in that moment, there's liberation. And, and that's possible. And that's really beautiful. 
And that's a beautiful state to, to recognize that in one moment I'm caught and then in recognizing and releasing in the next moment I'm free. So may we all cultivate that capacity to let go. So let's just take a few breaths to sit together. <coughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.